All right. Knowing your enemy. If you find yourself stuck in the desert, keep walking. If you find yourself stuck in the desert, keep walking. Elizabeth had shared a quote, if you find yourself in hell, keep walking. That's not your calling. That's not God's promise for you. Keep walking. Um, I want to encourage you that as you go out of here and as the Spirit of God's moving in your heart and you're seeing Him move, tell people, let's defeat negative words over church with positive words of encouragement, of power, of breakthrough, of relationship, of real God moving in your life. Start talking. Tell your friends, we need to get people. We need to release out what God's doing in this place. And invite them to church. Invite them to your small group. Let's grow this place. Amen? Amen. All right. So we've been talking about the children of Israel leaving Egypt. God has just delivered them from slavery. And if you remember, while they're in the desert, they wanted to go back. It's so easy to want to go back to our past. It's easy. It's easy to give in to our sin. But the Lord said, I have delivered you. Let's look at uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse, uh, verse 1. It says, when the Lord your God brings you into the land which you may go and possess and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites, the Gergesites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than you, and when the Lord your God delivers them to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them, nor show mercy to them. I want to step back just for a minute and tell you God has promises for you. God has done things for you. God, ha it says that he has delivered these enemies to you and we have to go conquer them. We have a part to play. We must get the right tools, get the right equipping, get the right training, and go out and conquer these. Don't marry them. Don't let them stick around. They need to be wiped out. Amen? God has already given us the possession of the promised land. We just have to go take it. Do you know that the Word of God says that if we would just ask for the nations, He'd give it. Why, why don't we have our nation? I believe it's because we're not asking. We're not asking according to his word. If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will hear from heaven. I will rescue them. I will heal their land. So we have a promise that if we fulfill our part, God will fulfill his part. So we have a, we have instruction of how to leave the desert, how to leave the wilderness and walk into the promised land. And three basic steps that we've been talking about is through his word. We must know his word. God is watching over his word, waiting to perform it. He's waiting for you to speak it. Um, I don't know if you caught this this morning, whether you even believed it or not, the song that we sang, I am no longer a slave to fear. There are people here that probably would say, you know what, I don't know that I've quite bought into that yet, but if you will speak it, that lines up with God's word. How does I'm no longer a slave to fear line up with God's word? God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and sound mind. So if we can recognize that even though we may not quite be at the point of really feeling like we're free of fear, we can be to the point of speaking God's word and let God do his part. 
God, I I do kind of feel like I'm a slave to fear, but I'm going to start speaking this. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. God is watching over his word, waiting to perform it. Our part is to take the word of God and to start speaking it and to start walking it and expecting God to do his part. Do you know God wants us to expect? He wants to prove himself faithful to us. He, his name is faithful. He is a faithful God. But how can we prove faithfulness if we never do the word? So I've got, I want to encourage you. God is delivering us. And if we, if we go back and look at these Hittites and Jebusites, we've been going to the Hebrew and looking at the definition of these names. Now, we do not fight these clans anymore. It, is, it says that we do not fight flesh and blood but spiritual demonic things, right? So as we look at these names, I'm gonna just show you and catch you up to where, if if you're here for the first time, this is where we were. Um, Let me just give you a couple scriptures to, to prepare. This assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into your hands. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, and against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. It's not people we're battling, it's spiritual demonic forces. Now I do want to say those spiritual demonic forces operate in people. They operate in people, they operate in us. What we're driving out are these enemies in us. All the control I have in my life are the enemies that are within me, not you. You've been given authority to drive out these enemies out of your household. You individually have that responsibility. Ephesians 6. So we've looked at the Hittite, which is a spirit of fear and of dread and intimidation. Last week, we looked at two, we looked at the, actually we just looked two weeks ago at the Gergeshite, which means dense or thick. It is a spirit that hinders you from learning, that hinders you from growing. Um, the, the scripture against this enemy is, I have the mind of Christ. I have the mind of Christ. And then last week we looked at two, uh, maybe, I don't I think this was the last one we looked at last week, is a spirit of pride. It's a spirit of I'm better than you. I'm going to do things to force my way into position. Um, It's ways of God not being able to get in. We put up walls of pride. I want you to know that Satan's fall was due to a spirit of pride. So I encourage you that if, if this spurs you and stirs you, go back to the podcast and download it. It's free. But today we're going to keep, keep moving because this one is, is very um, appropriate for today, and it's the Canaanite. And it is a spirit of compromise. Church, I want us to back up, and I want you to hear me. This is not so you can identify it in somebody else. It's to identify it in you. This spirit, this Canaanite spirit, I believe, is one of the most subtle. You don't even know that you're doing it. You don't even know where you've compromised. This word, if you look it up in the Hebrew, if you go to a Strong's Concordance, look it up in the Hebrew, means peddler or merchant 
or trafficker. And it comes from the root word meaning to bend the knee or to humiliate oneself or to bring low or to subdue. This spirit, people, Christians with this spirit, non-Christians with this spirit, typically are compromisers and negotiators. Always willing to make a deal at any cost. Looking for a way to make a profit. Jesus said that we are to count the cost of discipleship, but Canaanites are counting the benefits instead of the cost. Compromising anything in order to make big money or to get the deal. Willing to work in compromising situations because of the potential, the worldly potential. Able to rationalize working in a sin-filled position. Willing to compromise in order to be able to continue living in a certain lifestyle. Lives a way of life that compromises the word to maintain comfortability. Dictated by the love of money or the love of another person or even the desire to remain popular with others. want to step on my toes just for a minute. It's so easy to twist the word of God to work for what you're wanting. I have done it. I have seen it done. And it's wrong. We twist it to make it work for us. And that's what Christians do. Many times people that battle the spirit will get along with anyone regardless of what kind of life that they represent. Now, I want to battle this one just for a moment. Here at the church, I want you to know that this church is a place for sinners. This is a place for the sinner to find hope. This is not a place of judgment, at least when it comes to the church body. Now, God is the righteous judge. What's going to happen if done appropriately, I believe that as a sinner comes in here and experiences the presence of God, conviction's going to come, not condemnation, not guilt, but a real awakening to their sin and to the problem and a real desire to want to get away from it, not judgment. But there's a fine line then between their sin and being able to, um, you know, Scripture talks about how we're to minister to sinners, but we're also not to live with them. It's it's hard to kind of know where that line is. And we've got to know this Canaanite spirit, we've got to know where our compromising crosses God's word and his spirit. It's so important that the church gets this. Because this is a place to get recovered and to get restored. This is a place that someone that's completely broken and living in a sinful life to be able to come in and be restored. But we must be careful that we hear and we get a spirit of discernment to be able to know where that line is. Because there comes a time where we are to talk to someone and say, hey, you're about to fall off a cliff. And I'm not going to go with you. I'm not going off that cliff with you. I want you to stay here with me and I want to love you. But if you want to keep going that direction, I can't control you. Do you know so many times the church tries to control? 
when I say the church, I don't mean the pastor. I mean us. We're the church. The spirit of compromise is a killer. We will so, a Canaanite will so easily betray a brother or sell out the Lord for their 30 pieces of silver. No Christian would do this blatantly or betray the Lord for carnal possessions. This enemy is so subtle. I, I want to show you a scripture that I just found this morning. And it, it, 2 Thessalonians in the, in the King James talks about a mystery of iniquity. Look it up, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7. I'm going to show you the new living. But it talks about a mystery of iniquity. And this is where these seven um, enemies sit in this mystery of iniquity. And I want to show you this scripture. It says, For this lawlessness is already at work secretly, and it will remain secret until the one who is holding it back steps out of the way. It's this mystery of iniquity that allowed that these enemies that get in us that until we come to grips of what challenges that we have, until we come to that point of saying, hey, my name is Paul Ramsey and I'm an alcoholic, that that alcoholism is going to keep a hold of me. Do you see me? If you go to King James where it says lawlessness, it says a spirit, um, a mystery of iniquity. That these enemies get in and you don't even know they're there. It's already at work secretly. And it will remain secret until the one holding it back steps out of the way. So I guess I just share that with you to ask you just to consider asking the Holy Spirit, is this enemy in me? And if it is, Lord, show me. Show me in your word, show me in your spirit, show me in your body. And let me get out of the way and let you handle these. You remember these enemies are larger and bigger than us. We must have the Lord. So I want to show you a, a passage with Jacob and Esau about this compromising spirit and how far it will go. Because I don't know if you know this, but we have the potential of selling out our promises, our birthright, for a cup of soup. Can I show you all that scripture? Before I do, can you imagine coming to Jesus... And trying to excuse his willingness to pay the price, trying, us trying to excuse our willingness to pay the price of being a disciple, saying, Jesus, I know you sent me to all good. I know you sent me to church on the hill, but you know, those deacons and that pastor, man, you know, they don't understand me and they treat me wrong. And anyway, Pastor Paul has issues. which I do. But can you imagine God calling you here? We're just going to talk about church on the hill for just a minute. God calling you here for a purpose, for a plan, for families. The word of God says that you are put, the, he puts the lonely in families. He's brought you here on purpose, but how easily it would be. Now you wouldn't go to Jesus and say this, but we certainly do. God, I can't grow there. I can't serve there. Look, look at the way that one acted to me today. Look at what just happened today. How quickly we compromise God growing us. Now church, I've done it. I am not trying to say, you're the bad one, I'm the good one. No, 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 no. Anybody be around me long enough, you know. 
I've been there, done that. But the truth is that the Lord knew all the leadership shortcomings before you ever showed up here, before he ever called you here. Now, if you leave here and go somewhere else, they've got shortcomings too. You know, have you ever heard me say, if you've never been offended at church, just stick around. (laughs) Just stay for a few minutes. We're people. We are easily offended. Somebody say amen. Amen. Yeah, thank you. It's a sad day when a child of God sells his inheritance for a bowl of soup. And in spite of the fact that Jacob took advantage of Esau's hunger, stealing his brother's birthright, God judged Esau for despising his birthright and letting it happen. Let's just look at it. Genesis chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25. So many times, so many men and women of God Fear the, life, fear the loss of their self-life and ambitions more than they desire the kingdom of God. And as a result, a root of bitterness gets to come in and take away what God has for them. Genesis chapter 25, verse 31. But Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, look, I'm about to die. So what is this birthright to me? Then Jacob said, swear to me of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Getting old stinks. Let's go to that one. Is that one my next one? And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. And then he ate and drank, arose and went his way. Thus Esau, catch this church, Esau despised his birthright. We so easily forget our promise what God has for us, and we so easily forego our reward for a bowl of soup. Now, I tend to be the type that tries to look for stuff that may not be there. This is me viewing this, but I feel like Esau coming in saying he was about to die was dramatic. He's so hungry he's about to die. Have you ever said that? I'm starving. I'm going to die. But out of that emotionalism, out of that drama, Esau allowed emotions to completely take over him. And for him to take God's promise, his inheritance. I don't know about you, but my inheritance is a big deal. This birthright, back in this day, the name, the birth order was an incredibly big deal. You'll see if you continue to read the story when uh, um, Israel, who who's, who's their, his dad? Uh, Abraham? Who, Isaac, thank you. Man, I, got, I have issues. Um, but when he went to bless him, he got tricked. But once the blessing had gone, it was done. Your inheritance, church on the hill, is a big deal. You sang this morning, whether you knew it or not, I am a child of God. I have an inheritance in Christ that we can so easily give that up. 
God didn't judge Jacob for fooling Esau. He judged Jacob for hating his birthright. Hebrews chapter 12. Now, I'm gonna, we're going to tie this together into the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 12. It says, pursue peace with all people, holiness, which, without which no one will see the Lord. Verse 15, look carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up causes trouble. And by this, many become defiled. By what? A root of bitterness. Next scripture. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward he wanted to inherit the blessing. He was rejected. For he found no room for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Church, this is New Testament. I believe that Scripture shows us that we can go so far that that open door of repentance is closed. Do you realize the gift of repentance? It's the only way to get free of your guilt. It's the only way. Repentance is acknowledging that you've gone the wrong way. It's confessing to the Lord and pleading the blood of Jesus over you. And when you do that according to God's word, God cleanses you of it. Have you ever done a cleansing? It cleanses you of it. That's the gift of repentance, truly getting free of your sin and your guilt. But this door was closed to Esau, even though he diligently sought it with tears. I don't know about you, but I don't want to get anywhere near that line. It doesn't say we can't make mistakes, but it does say that we can continue to go so far that it's no longer offered. In Jesus' name, Lord, wake me up before I get close to that. However low I need to go, don't let me cross that line. Do you know that David prayed, God, whatever happens, don't let your spirit part from me. David, who made so many mistakes, did so many things wrong, prayed a prayer of God, don't let your anointing, don't let your spirit go from me. Create in me a clean heart. Change me. Move in me. And I just speak right now over you and over me by the authority that God's given me over his church, over this church, that a spirit of compromise, that we notice it and we cast it out and we kill it. And church, compromise has many faces. From the television to your phone to the radio to your words to your heart to your decisions. Just ask that the Holy Spirit would lead us and guide us into all truth. We must ruthlessly war against this enemy. Only the Lord knows where this place is, but I want to stay as far from that repentance line as I can. I'm going to close with two scriptures. 
Matthew chapter 19. And everyone who has left the house of brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands, for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. What is this saying? This is saying that we are to even come to a point of breaking all improper relationships that get in the way between us and the Lord. I had somebody in, in uh, uh, Sunday school this morning talk about how Jesus was 100% human, 100% human, but walked with God perfectly. That is what we're striving for. Will we ever get there? No. But we should always be striving for that kind of closeness, that type of close walk with the Lord. First John chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 15, do not love the world or the things, of the world, things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. Verse 17, and the world is passing away and the lust in it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. So I just ask you just to agree with me as I pray in just a moment that we would be aware. You know, God's trying to get you to go home and, and be aware of the enemies that are there. To learn to identify them. To learn to point them out, but also to equip us to drive them away. The spirit of pride, the spirit of an unlearning, unwilling spirit. God's given us victory to grow and to move forward and to, and to uh, take our promised land. And church, we're not there, but we're going there. We are going to do it by worshiping, equipping, relating, and reaching. And I want you to know this morning as we were worshiping, war was going on. War was going on here on earth and in the heavenlies. War is going on. Turn your heart to the Lord. Turn your heart to the Lord. Get in the Word. Get filled with the Spirit. And let's walk together as a church body. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you. Scripture says that if we confess the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that, we are, that, we, that he was raised from the dead, we will be saved. Would you take just a moment, let me just ask you, have you ever confessed with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord? If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, you will be saved. You're not saved because you're a good person. You're not saved because you come to church. You're saved because of your confession. Scripture says that he is the high priest of our confession. That it takes our confession. Have you confessed Jesus as Lord? If you hadn't, haven't, would you do that? Right now, right where you sit. Out of your own mouth, Jesus, your Lord of my life, I turn my life over to you. 
Can I tell you it's that simple? I don't know if that child just said daddy, but it sounded like it. Daddy! Listen, I'm not joking. Daddy! Abba, Father. Just like that child is so in need of that parent's provision, whether you know it or not, we are more in need. Just like a bird that just opens its mouth for its mama to drop the food down in it. Would you confess Jesus, Lord of your life? Don't take it for granted that you've been baptized or that you walked an aisle. If you have not made that confession, we need to make the confession. Jesus, you are Lord of my life. I ask you this morning to forgive me of my sin. And with all of my might and strength, I turn from that sin and turn to you. I ask you, Jesus, to cleanse me of your blood. Cleanse me of my sin that I might walk forward in right standing with you. As I confess that you are my Lord, I ask you to clothe me in your righteousness, making me right with God. Did you do it? Now, in Jesus' name, I ask for a clear identification of a compromising spirit. And Lord, I just take your word against that right now and say that no weapon formed against us will prosper. No, any tongue that rises up against us will be defeated. Over parents, in Jesus' name, a spirit of compromise be removed. I speak to that mountain that stands in our way. Be removed and cast in the sea. Be removed, spirit of compromise. Within leadership here at this church, within this body of teachers, a spirit of compromise, it's time for them to die. I thank you, Lord, that we be full of your spirit, full of your love. Just praise you, Lord. Over marriages, over families, I pray restoration, truth, and life that we turn to you this morning. Just thank you, Lord. With y'all, with your heads bowed, if you've made that confession today for the first time, water baptism is your next step. If you've never been water baptized, it's time. Jesus said to do it. It's not a Baptist thing. It's not a religious thing. It's a Jesus thing. Burying the old person showing publicly that you follow Christ. Jesus did it, and he commands us to do it. Thank you, Lord. Fill these baptismal waters. Just pray that the lost in this city begin to find you, Jesus, through all our churches in this area, through the people, through your spirit. Save this city. I just ask right now, according to your word, for our city for our state and for our nation. Thank you, Lord. We just praise your holy name. 
in Jesus' name. Everybody said?